Welcome to The Screen, the podcast series brought to you by Breast Screen Victoria. We want to see women empowered by information because when you're informed, you can make the best choice for your health. So when it comes to breast cancer, there are some things that you can't control. Things like your age, because breast cancer is more prevalent in women over the age of 50, and whether or not there's a history of breast cancer within your family. For example, your mum, your aunt, or your grandmother might have had the disease. But there are some things that you can control. Things like how active you are every day and the types of foods that you eat. So in previous podcasts, we've talked about what happens after you're diagnosed with breast cancer, but let's take a step back today and let's talk about some of the things that are within your control that might help you prevent a breast cancer diagnosis. We call these things our lifestyle choices and they can help reduce your risk. The Cancer Council tells us that one third of all cancers are preventable. So that means that there are choices you can make every day that can reduce your risk of getting breast cancer. So recently, I sat down with Alice Bastable, the Live Lighter Program Manager from the Cancer Council Victoria, and Mel Davis, the Health Promotion Manager from Breast Screen Victoria. I started by asking Alice about the importance of diet and nutrition. The World Cancer Research Fund has actually recently recommended the top things we should be doing with our diet to prevent cancer. And what they've said is one of the best things we can do with our diet is to eat a diet that's rich in whole grains, lots of fresh vegetables and fruit, and lots of legumes and beans. Okay, so that's a really good overview. But Mel, can you break that down for us a little bit? What would that look like on my plate? Yeah, Nat, that's a good question. What that means is, particularly with whole grains, it's choosing wholemeal breads and and multi-grain breads over our more processed white bread, for example. And when we say fresh fruit and vegetables, it really means that going back to primary school and thinking about that go for two and five. I remember those messages. (laughs) So go for two and five is two pieces of fruit or two serves of fruit and five serves of vegetables a day. So a serve of veggies is either half a cup of cooked veggies or a cup of leafy salad vegetables. So choosing our leafy greens such as lettuce and spinach, broccoli, zucchini, all those really hearty vegetables that are going to give us the nutrition that we need, but also making better choices. So swapping fries for potatoes and a really big serve of veggies or having a smaller portion of meat and then filling ourselves up with veggies and salad. I've heard people talk about the rainbow and eating a variety of coloured foods. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So if we choose a varied diet, so a range of veggies, all different colours, then that will give us the mix of vitamins, minerals and nutrients we need for good health. Alice, we've all heard of protein, but can you tell us a little bit more about why it's so important for our diet? Well, protein's really important in our diet because our body needs it for healing and and repairing our cells and for growth and for your immune system. Every cell in your body needs protein. You'll find protein in your diet from animal products such as lean meats like um, beef and chicken and fish, eggs and dairy products, but you'll also find quite a bit of protein in plant-based products such as nuts and seeds, legumes, uh, soy products and high-fibre cereals and grains. And how much protein should we be aiming for every day? So people often overestimate the amount of protein that they should be eating each day. And just for example, if you were a 70 kilogram woman, you'd only need around 
70 grams of protein or, or less a day. We've heard people talk about perhaps red meat, maybe limiting that per week and processed meat. Is there a strong link between that and cancer? Yeah, there's absolutely a very strong link between excessive amounts of red meat and processed meats in our diet and certain types of cancer, particularly with colorectal cancer, which is a, a big killer of Australians. What do we classify as processed meat? Um, processed meat is anything that is not your fresh lean cut of meat. So it's usually those things you see at the deli, pastrami, salami, sausages and deli meats. So sugar is a bit of a hot topic at the moment. We're starting to learn a little bit more about the negative impacts of sugar. Can you tell us why we are better off avoiding sugar if we can? Well, there's actually no place for added sugar in a healthy diet, whether it's through sugar added to snacks or sugar added to drinks. When you start to add sugar to food, you start to add extra calories and these foods quickly become quite calorie dense foods and you're not getting as full despite the added sugar. This then can lead to to weight gain and we know that excessive weight gain and excessive sugar intake are strongly related with many chronic diseases such as cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes and some cancers. Okay, so I know I've got a bit of a sweet tooth, but the recommendations are very clear that we should actually be reducing our sugar intake each day. Mel, can you tell me about the limits we should be aiming for? What sort of cap should we be putting on our sugar intake? Ideally, it is recommended that we don't have any more than six teaspoons of added sugar in our diet a day. So that equals 25 grams. To put this in perspective, a can of Coke has 10 teaspoons of sugar or 40 grams of sugar just in one can. So, I mean, we wouldn't add 10 teaspoons of sugar to our coffee, but we will very easily drink a can of Coke with 10 teaspoons of sugar in it and barely notice that. Alice, how does that relate to, say, a fruit smoothie where you have four or five fruit servings blended up into one smoothie? Yes, it's fruit and natural sugar, but is that a little bit more than what we should be having? Well, I guess the benefit with the smoothie is you're getting some benefits of the fruit, but because of the large serve sizes and the huge amount of fruit that's going into it, the amount of sugar in that product could actually be quite similar to the can of Coke. So like you said before, these are quite calorie-dense foods and they can generally lead to weight gain. Is weight a factor when it comes to cancer prevention? Um, Weight is a factor, but what a more important factor is is actually the amount of um, visceral fat or abdominal fat you have around your waistline. So your waistline measurement is usually a, a more important indicator of your risk for cancer. Regardless of your height or build, you can still see what we might refer to as a beer belly. So this is an indicator of visceral fat, which as Alice said, is coating your your internal organs. And this is increasing your, your risk of cancer. So for women, your health is at risk if your waist size is over 80 centimetres. It's also important to uh, acknowledge that even if you are slightly overweight, having a healthy diet and being physically active can still certainly reduce your risk of many diseases and including some cancers. Okay, so let's talk about physical activity then. What are the benefits of exercise? Well, there are many benefits of exercise. Um, For example, it will reduce your risk of cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, and also reduce your risk of many types of cancer, including postmenopausal breast cancer. Exercise will help keep your bones uh, nice and strong. It'll make you feel better, give you more energy, improve your mood, 
help you sleep and make you feel more relaxed. So definitely some things and positive benefits for everybody really. But how much exercise should we be doing to get those cancer prevention benefits? Well, I guess it really depends where you're starting. Um, If you're not exercising much at the moment, start by doing something small. To get the benefits though, we need to really look at about half an hour to an hour most days, if not every day of the week. So every day, 30 minutes. If I have done no exercise for the past three months, I might need to start out by doing something like walking. Is that what you would suggest? Doing something is better than doing nothing. If it has been a really long time since you've exercised, it's always good to have a chat with your doctor about starting an exercise program. A great place to start might be trying to improve or increase the amount of incidental activity in your day. So getting up and going for a walk in the middle of the work day or um, taking the stairs instead of the lift or walking instead of getting on the escalator at the shopping centre. I mean, I know a really great tactic might be trying to park further away rather than looking for the car spot that's right next to the door. If I had a choice between doing some resistance training, maybe going to the gym or using body weight or going for a walk or doing something a bit more cardiovascular like running, is there a preference over the two? I guess the benefits of exercise really come from a combined approach, so mixing up a bit of cardio and a bit of resistance training. The National Physical Activity Guidelines recommend around two sessions a week of weight-bearing exercise or resistance-style trainings. So get into the gym if we're not there already. (laughs) I guess, yeah, you can do a lot of these things at at home as well. So even a yoga class would count as uh, some weight-resisting training. So it's not all doom and gloom and gyms only, (laughs) which is the good news. Alice, Prue Cormie from the Cancer Council Australia recently talked about the benefits for exercise during cancer treatment as well. In fact, she said that if exercise could be in a pill form, it would be prescribed to everyone undergoing cancer treatment. That's a very big statement about the benefits. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? What we do know is some of the benefits that have been shown with exercise is that it can reduce some of the side effects of the treatment, it can speed up your return to your normal life, and it can improve your quality of life. There's actually also uh, some evidence as well that says it can improve your treatment outcomes additionally. It's really important, though, to recognise that this advice will vary depending on the individual. And if you do have cancer or you have had cancer, it's best to talk with your doctor about what is best. As well as this, you can call the Cancer Council of Information and Support Service, that 13 11 20 number. And on the Cancer Council website, there's a lot of information available about the types of exercise you can undertake when you're going through cancer treatment, the research, and a lot of really great information and resources. So So this next question might be hard for Australians to hear because we definitely love a social drink in this country, but the research is becoming more and more clear about the link between alcoholic drinks and breast cancer. Can you tell us more about this? We've known for some time that alcohol is a major risk factor for breast cancer. Very conservative estimates state around 6% of all breast cancer cases in Australia can be attributed to alcohol intake, and that's a conservative figure. Okay, but we have all heard the comments that a glass of red wine might actually do you good and might help you live longer. So is there a balance? When we're talking about cancer, we know that cancer risk increases from the first alcoholic drink you have. Even small amounts of alcohol can increase your risk of developing cancer. But let's put that in the context of binge drinking. So if I abstain from alcohol Monday to Friday, no drinks at all, 
I head out on the weekend and then I have an excessive amount on Friday and Saturday, is that still going to contribute to a cancer risk? The same message applies with binge drinking. The more alcohol you consume, the greater your risk of developing cancer. Um, You'll also be less likely to have horrific hangovers (laughs) the next day. (laughs) Keep your job. (laughs) Something we'd all like to avoid. Yes. I've left smoking till last because I feel like it's one of the risk factors that we know a fair bit about and we know it's extremely harmful. However, I'd still like to mention it. What I would like to know, is there a direct link between breast cancer and smoking? Although there's still no clear link between smoking and breast cancer, we know that toxins from cigarettes have been found in breast cells and we know that smoking is associated very strongly with many cancers. Currently, around one in eight cancer deaths in Australia can be attributed to smoking. Can I just add there, even if you don't smoke, you need to be mindful of secondhand smokes, other people smoking around you, because that can also increase your risk of getting cancer. And for those that do smoke, we are talking about an addiction here, so it can be a really tough choice to quit as well. Yeah, so... I suppose the best thing you can do for your health, the best decision you can make is to stop smoking. The younger you are, the sooner you stop. Obviously, that's the best. But even smokers who quit at the age of 60 can reduce their chance of getting cancer and other diseases. So with that in mind, if you are looking to quit smoking, you can call the quit line or look on the quit website for tips and information to stop smoking. There was some recent research around the potential to put graphic images on junk food packets and to include graphic images like you would see on cigarette packs. Do you think that this would work in our society? Are we likely to respond to this type of negative messaging? I think what we've learned from tobacco reform is that these strategies are certainly very effective at changing people's behaviour. The research has found that using images combined with negative messages or positive messages Both were more effective in getting people to change their behaviour. The strongest effect, however, was observed for those junk foods that had a negative text message and negative imagery. So this is an image perhaps of a fatty heart that might talk about the link to obesity and the risks that are involved with that. So we might look out for that in the future if it becomes something that we put onto our packets. Absolutely. And what they'd found with those particular ones was that it was twice as effective in making people change their minds on consuming that product. So with all of this information in mind, I thought I'd ask a few people what they know about reducing their breast cancer risk. Did you know that there are things that you can do to reduce your breast cancer risk? I do, but I don't know what. So if I told you that if you were physically active and you ate healthy food and and lowered your alcohol intake to reduce your breast cancer risk, would you be more likely to do it? I think so, yes. Did you know that you can reduce your breast cancer risk by taking action in your everyday life? Yes, I did. So what sort of things do you know about? Uh, You can uh, exercise more, uh, drink less alcohol, eat a healthy diet. And how do you incorporate this into your life? Um, I've started playing outdoor soccer this year and I rethink any time I'm going for a second glass of wine. Did you know that there are actions you can take every day that can help to reduce your risk of getting breast cancer? Uh, No, not specifically. 
So if I told you that you could do things like make sure you had a healthy diet, were being physically active, reduced your alcohol consumption and quit smoking if you're a smoker, that could reduce your risk, would you be more likely to do these things? Well, I think that goes for a lot of diseases, doesn't it? You know, you're not meant to do those things anyway for your whole body, not just breast cancer. So I wouldn't necessarily change things just because of breast cancer. However, I would get a screen or something like that or regularly check my breasts in the shower. So with the small amount of people that I did talk to, it was interesting to note that it seems we're aware about the harms of smoking and we know we need to eat a healthy diet, but perhaps not much is known about the benefits of physical activity and perhaps lowering our alcohol intake. If you want to know more about this topic, I'd suggest logging onto the Cancer Council website. There's lots of information and resources for you to have a look at. It's easy to incorporate some of these changes into your day. So think about what you can do today, tomorrow, next week to reduce your risk of getting breast cancer. I'd like to thank Alice Bastable from the Cancer Council and Mel Davis from Breast Green Victoria for joining me on today's episode. The screen is produced by Natalie Pearson and Gavin Nabar. It's recorded at the Horwood Studio at the University of Melbourne. If you're a woman aged between 50 and 74 and you haven't had a breast screen in the last two years, maybe it's time to book that appointment. It takes 10 minutes, it's with a woman, you don't need a doctor's referral and it's free. Call us on 13 20 50 or visit our website, breastscreen.org.au. I'm Natalie Pearson. Thanks for listening.